Hello and welcome to episode two of Her Majesty's Tech Podcast working title. I'm sitting here again in my living room with Emil. We're back in it business. Yeah, well, there's been a bit of a pause in between, but I think for a good reason. And I actually want to use this and not talk about myself at all. I basically just want to interview you for the next 40 minutes or so. Actually, I'm probably just going to cut this off after 40 minutes because I've learned that if my backlog in podcast editing goes over 40 minutes, I probably never ever get to it. Oh, That's this. probably a good idea. Yeah. So, Emil, what have you been up to lately? I've been in California in the rain, sadly. Really? It was raining now? It was raining five days a week wow. for two months. So it was terrible weather. It's actually um, not been that bad over here. Yeah, it was about the same weather as here. For uh, except for the past month that it's been sunny, um, so I was out there for for Y Combinator. Yeah, um, I guess we. I, I think we kind of teased at this the last time, but I I think you couldn't officially announce it at that point or something. Yeah, like that, I don't know. I may or maybe I just got the interview last time. Uh, I don't know, but we uh, got into Y Combinator last year, late last year, and um, flew over in January and been there for three months. Just had demo day two weeks ago, and now I'm back in London. How did it go? It went really well. It was fun. Uh, some pivots, some uh, some uh, some hard conversations with users, but um, in the end, we uh, were on track to make a fantastic product, and uh, I'm super excited. Let me put my NPR voice on here, or BBC maybe, and let's take a step back, Emil. So can you tell us a bit about how you actually got started with your company and what your initial plan was and maybe how it has evolved over, well, I guess like the past year and a half or how long has this been going on? It's about a year. I got... Really? Just a year? Yeah, it's been a year. I, well, it's been less than a year since we started the company, actually. But about a year ago, I kind of... I got sick of giving Facebook all my good ideas. <laughs> uh, so I uh, wanted to take them for myself and uh, Facebook could uh, deal with that. So I quit to to not give them my good ideas and try to um, really get them out there by myself. Um, so that was about a year ago. And I teamed up with uh, a friend from university who I've done like a ton of side projects with. So it was the perfect fit. And uh, we had no idea what we were doing. He's in Sweden, right? Yeah, he's like in northern Sweden, like so the cold parts of Sweden. <laughs> All parts of Sweden are run. cold, but yeah. some are colder than others. Cool. So you've been working remotely then for the most part, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, our first employee is also in Sweden, also northern Sweden, also studied with her. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm alone here in London, but uh, we're hiring so hopefully uh somebody else joins here in london or somewhere else in europe or hiring remotely i guess you, you might want to mention the name of your company if, if you want to yeah yeah people, sure so. uh we're visly <laughs> so that's visly.app we were cool and got a dot app domain i think wow. we have a dot com domain as well like visleyhq.com but uh we we have email addresses that are sent out at dot app so. so i guess if you've got a dot app domain you don't even have something open on port 80 then have you correct Amazing. Oh, the future is so bright. Okay, so what did you start your company with? What was the initial idea? Uh, so we didn't really know what we were doing. We just wanted to do something fun, cool, and helpful, targeting developers mostly. But yeah, I'd been doing a ton of developer tooling and open source and uh, cross-platform tooling at Facebook. So 
kind of continue with that. Um, initially, we were playing with a visual programming language, really looking at what I still believe is the future that a lot of people will never own a computer uh, or rather they'll never own a laptop. They will own a computer, which is their smartphone. Uh, however, there's currently no good way to do software engineering on, on a smartphone. So we set out to solve this by doing a touch-based visual programming language. And uh, I'm really proud of what we built there. However, I don't think the time is right for that just yet. So we set it aside and started working on some other developer tools meanwhile. So waiting for Samsung to finish their weird plug your smartphone into display and have a full-fledged computer waiting for you then? No, I don't believe in that either, really. Um, but uh, I uh, I, th I think it's a couple years off, but I, I believe in doing software development on your phone. That is your phone screen. Uh, foldable phones might be, um, might oh, be needed for this, yeah. but... Who knows? Uh, we, we actually got something that was working quite well on like a standard-sized iPhone where we could, uh, we could from scratch program things like um, Fib recursive Fibonacci sequence and so forth. Uh, it was interesting, but uh, in the end, we didn't see a, uh, a commercial application of yeah. it uh, that was uh, in the near future. So we, we kind of uh, put that on the shelf for now, but we might bring it out later. So what was next? Next was really, we well, we didn't know at first. So we, we knew it would be developer tooling. We knew it would be cross-platform with a heavy focus on mobile. Uh, this is just because cross-platform is going to explode, especially as we're moving away from mobile being the new hot thing. You just really need a mobile app. And the, the hot thing behind it is the service or, or the new platform and so forth. Uh, but we'll always want these these graphical uh, mobile experiences. However, it's not the thing that makes you unique per se. And with only 15% of apps today are built using any cross-platform technology, that's just like a huge wave we, we can ride. Um, so, so we knew that. So what we did was we started building the core infrastructure that would be needed for any kind of cross-platform development tool. Which is a layout engine. Which is a layout engine. And luckily enough, I'd already built one. Uh, however, I chose to write a new one uh, because the one I wrote at Facebook, Yoga, just wasn't good enough for me. Particularly, it could not um, handle... It, it, it had some incompatibilities between iOS, Android, and web layouts where it only worked like 95% of the time, as you expected. And we really believe that web is... Uh, it should be uh, at least an equal citizen um, among Android and iOS. And that's just not the case if, if you can't trust that it lays out the same. So I started by writing a layout engine called Stretch, um, which is a full rewrite um, of a Flexbox engine uh, written in Rust. Yay! So that that's super exciting. Um, we took all the tests from Yoga and they're passing. And we took all the tests from Yoga that we could never get passing, and guess what? They're passing as well. Um, so we already have a, a very fast and performant cross-platform layout engine that is more compatible with the web and I think Yoga. your whole testing strategy is kind of worth highlighting because I found this pretty cool. So you're just t using something like Selen uh, Selenium or Chrome Driver to actually 
run the same kind of test or the same layered computations in an actual browser and then compare this to the output of, of your library, right? Yeah, exactly. So we really just have a script that takes a directory of text fixtures, which are just HTML files. These HTML files, you can open them in a browser. Like, they have an accompanying CSS file as well, so you can visualize the test in your browser. Right. And then uh, the script just takes that, runs it in the browser, uses JavaScript or, like, WebDriver to query the uh, the um, layout information of those posts layout in the browser. And then, given those, it generates Rust code, which can then be tested in Cargo. Um, works fantastically. And actually, two days ago, I did... Um, another edit to this to make it not only generate tests, but it now generates benchmarks for every single one of those fixtures as well. Okay, this part I'm super excited about. Have you tried to compare this to yoga yet? The... No, I haven't. It um, it would be fun to do, but we have um, a lot of other things that <laughs> I'd rather spend time on. Okay, okay, I can imagine. But yeah, that would definitely interest me to see how the two compare now. Have you um, spent much time um, on parallelization? Uh, no, none at all right now. It's But I guess there are still opportunities for doing this kind of stuff then. Yes, but that said, like, yes, there are. But we're measuring, like, stretch performance right now in the benchmarks on microsecond levels. So who knows? Um the, the big part that comes in is when you run this on an actual device and the majority of the time spent, like we're talking 90, 95%, is spent in text measurement um, routines on the platform. Yeah. And paralyzing those is interesting. And so that would be interesting to look into later. Right. Okay. Sorry. I, I think I've kind of derailed this because I wanted to make this a, a startup kind of founding conversation right. we're down in the technical weeds again. Uh, so uh, what did you use your library for? <laughs> right. So we built this and we also built a cross-platform uh, rendering engine that was built on top of this layout engine, which given a description of a layout in JSON could produce a... Um, a web, Android, and iOS um, view that, well, displayed what was described. Right. So now we had the basis of a cross-platform rendering engine with the layout and rendering all uh, cross-platform, and you would um, you could trust that it was the same across web, Android, and iOS. And the first thing we did was um, kind of try to apply this um, to uh, an area where we thought it uh, would be super helpful, which is notifications and alerts and other kinds of dynamic content that are typical in um, in applications. So you have an SDK that people could integrate in their existing application and then use this to presumably send something from the server side that is then displayed in some rich fashion to the user. Yes, it's basically replace every single use of web view in your app um, that is typically used for these kinds of dynamic things yes. with actual native views. Uh, so instead of sending an HTML description, you send a Visly description down. I mean, we had this working. It wasn't a technical limitation. Um, we worked on this for, for about a month or a month and a half um, because we'd gone out and talked to potential customers and and there was definitely interest in this. However, over the course of the month or so working on this, um, it became clear to us that while there was um, there was a need for this and there was an interest in this, nobody was 
like excited about it. It was uh, definitely we were solving a priority 10 kind of problem and not a priority 1 kind of problem. It's really hard to get a startup off the ground solving a priority 10 issue. Just nobody's going to care too much about that. That makes sense, yeah. Okay, and I think this is actually where my kind of knowledge of your story mostly ends. We've had something in between, but yeah, I don't actually know what happened then. Yeah, we um, well, we talked to uh, our advisors and partners at Y Combinator and our other investors and, um, and really just like tried to figure out how to, how to, I mean, spent a lot of time developing core technology and then spent some time developing this product as well but not getting getting any traction, however hard we tried. Um, so this was hard times. Um, it was uh, it was really hard to 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 feel that like to feel a sense of failure at that point. But we we took a week or two to really brainstorm what what we were excited about and the core fundamentals of why we set out to build this company. And uh, while we came up with some interesting ideas, it quickly became obvious exactly what to focus on. Uh, and that is what we're doing now and have been doing since. And I'm more excited about it than I ever was about anything else we were doing, which is a... Yeah, you're really teasing us here. Yeah. it's uh, <laughs> So what Visly is, is a design tool built for front-end engineers. Uh, so what that means is the tool like Sketch or Photoshop or any other design tool you might use to build UIs. But instead of targeting the designer first and foremost, it's targeting the engineer, the front-end engineer. And by doing so, we'll really work hard to get them to love it and love it so much that they'll import these designs directly into code. Now, this has been tried many times before, but it's never worked and developers have always hated it because it's been a design tool first and foremost. This is a developer tool. We will get designers to use it. They'll love it, but that's really easy. You're giving them a superpower. So what makes it different? What makes it a developer tool compared to a design tool? So it has a couple things that really differentiate it. One is it understands engineering constraints and platform constraints, so it knows what can be done and can't be done on Android, for example. It uh, knows that engineering constraints, such as you have to put everything in a layout system. Now, design tools typically have layout system features, but they tend to not be used because who cares? Right. And then just such things as knowing, like, oh, this needs a pressed state. This needs a hover state if you're targeting um, uh, mouse-based uh, interfaces. Let uh, the record show you that I'm just nodding along here. So all of these things are required, and, and that that's just from the product point of view. I think that even more important point is the really the trust building with the community. Uh, you can't focus on the design community and the developer community at the same time. This is incredibly hard. And to get this uh, to be actually used and imported directly into code, you have to build that trust with the developer community, not the design community. You can get every designer in the world to love this and rave about this, but in the end, the developer chooses whether this goes into code or not. So that's why we have to focus on building for them. 
So as an inspiration for this, then, have you tried to smush everything together that you've mentioned before, like Sketch and Photoshop, and then the on the developer side, something like Android Studio and the Layout Builder in there, and whatever the equivalent on Xcotus, or uh, what what were your inspirations, or where, where did you start? Yeah, I mean, I love Sketch and Figma and and, and design tools, and uh, so those are definitely uh, a core inspiration for this uh, from the interface point of view. Okay, um, <laughs> I think I've tried Sketch exactly once because I've heard so many people rave about it before, and was like, okay, I've I've got this presentation in thirty minutes, and I need to <laughs> quickly create a mock-up, and then realized that I had no idea what I was doing, and. Uh, yeah, the complexity is quite high if you've never used it before. So that's the great thing. Front-end engineers tend to have used it. Front-end engineers tend to do something like 20% of, of design anyways because designers never, never design the full design. It's always like just like golden path and edge cases are in design. <laughs> I wonder if this has changed much in the past well, maybe two, two and a half years since I've done any product Not development. Be- because back then, I would just get an iOS design. and was like, yeah, just, just build this on Android, please. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's very much the same. Not, not that particular problem, maybe, but the whole problem that, that you don't get a fully 100% completed design because, again, like you understand the platform better than the designer, so you'll be, you need to fill in the gaps. And from what I've seen and heard from talking to people and just doing it myself front-end engineers when i say front-end i mean front-end android ios and web yeah they use these kinds of design tools because it's just nicer and faster designing things visually because they are visual components so these people are already familiar with design tools so we're really basing it off of those in the ui wise would you say that it helps you that Android and iOS design-wise have converged a bit over over the past years? I think that helps cross-platform in general. Yeah. Again, this goes back to the thesis that cross-platform will go from 15% of apps to 95% of apps over the coming five years. This, this is because there's really not that much innovation going on anymore in mobile UI. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's kind of we're in the state that desktop UIs were in 20 years ago. Guess what? They look exactly the same as they did 20 years ago, basically. Yeah, um, it seems like the main innovation that basically happens on the platform level now is that Apple and Google are pulling product features down into their operating system themselves. I just saw, I don't know if you've seen this, but Android Q is going to support something like uh, Chat Hats. The, 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 oh. Yeah. Nice. So how do you actually then design for different platforms? Because you, you would still want to make things look native to their individual um, operating systems, right? Yes and no. So yes, in some cases you do, and we allow that. By default, everything looks the same on both platforms, but you can you can click a box and say this is Android specific. Oh, okay, okay. Now, we are focused on building UI component libraries, not full apps, which means most components look the same on both platforms because they are highly specific to your brand and not specific to the platform. Now, we don't control things such as where on the screen the toolbar goes or those kinds of things. 
which are typically specific to the platforms, but like more, which font does this button use and things like that, that, or what colors and how big is it, what's the padding, all of which are very specific to your brand identity and not a platform. So for the most part, they will look exactly the same on all platforms and this is what you want, but you can definitely customize it. Cool. Another question I would have is how granular or on the opposite side, how invasive of a kind of framework for your application is this? Do you design the entire thing, the entire wrap in this, or do you design specific screens or even subsections of a screen? None of the above. We ah. design components. Okay. So this is, the best example I can take is, uh, think that if this tool existed, then material design component library would be implemented in this. I see. Which means material design that component library does not implement screens, does not implement apps, does not implement any of that. It implements components, the building blocks of your app. So what's your composition layer then? Do you have native Android views? Do you have specific Visly views that you need to combine? So this is, um, this depends on the platform and we can actually, because we're not because you're not writing code, because everything's visual, we can generate whatever kind of code we want behind the scenes. Right now, we're focusing on native Android views, native iOS views, and React components for the web. However, we will be supporting Flutter, React Native, things like Litho and Component Kit could also Sweet. be supported. There is no reason this couldn't output a Litho component. Right. No reason at all. As soon as Litho uses Stretch. Okay. That, that's not actually needed either. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is that we can generate any kind of component. Uh, and this is component-based. So like, it will treat it as a component even though we generate a view. It'll be a view that has basically a set props function that takes in view props. Um, so it, it, it's modeled after the component-based uh, architecture. So how far are you in the development? If I go to go to Visly.app today, is there like a prototype I can play there around is with? An email sign up for. Okay, fantastic. I'll add uh, my email we to this. We will be inviting people to test it in the coming months, but right now it's pretty early. We focused on the underlying infrastructure for a long time uh, to really get that rendering engine correct, that layout engine correct. Yeah. We're still really working on that a lot. Um, or at least I'm working on that a lot. The rest of the team is working on the the sketch-like interface or what have you, the right. design tool. Uh, the, uh, what we are still figuring out exactly is the code generation, but we have some prototypes of that as well. So my, my main focus right now myself is really the layout library stretch, the component rendering engine, which we haven't open-sourced yet, but we will, uh, and then uh, hiring. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about this in a bit. Let's take a break here, actually, and then we can focus on the entire business side of things. I'm super curious to dig in a bit on the whole founding and fundraising side of things. Sure. And we're back. Okay, Mio, let's focus on the business side of things. So how did you actually start about raising money, talking to investors, how, how did this all go about? Because I had, I would have no idea where to even start with this. Yeah, this was, um, this was 
pretty easy to start out with, really. Um, I had some friends who, um, who just like in my network, people I knew who were, were excited to see me try things outside of Facebook, and that's how we got uh, some initial funding. They were telling us to go to Y Combinator, basically, and try that out. So we applied, and, well, we got in, and they gave us more money. And, uh, well, like, uh, throughout this time, we really... So how much of this is public? How much money they give you? Uh, I think most of the numbers are actually it's all public. available, right? Okay, so when you apply and you get accepted, what do they give you concretely? 50 grand for 7% equity on a safe. Okay, okay. So, I mean, this if this was any other company, that would seem absolutely ridiculous, but because it's Y Combinator, uh, it isn't. So, what, what else do you get in addition to some cash in your bank account? You get advisors. Okay. And that's about it. And you get <laughs> access to the Y Combinator alumni network as well. Right, and your internal right. version of Hacker News, right? Correct, uh, called Bookface. Uh, and that's... Fantastic name. Yes. Uh, it's inspired by some social company in the valley i think never heard of them yeah uh so that that you you really get this network um great advisors and then you get the money how so what was in your proposal what did you actually apply with we're gonna make cross-platform stuff uh <laughs> i've worked on this for four years basically so uh we'll be able to solve this so i imagine your resume also helped I mean, that was the only reason we got it. <laughs> um, we applied with my resume and uh, a general idea of the space we wanted to work in and um, some of uh, the core technology, like um, the beginnings of this layout engine and so forth. But that's really, they, they wouldn't, I, I assume they didn't care um, at all about that. Um, right. We had a little prototype of, of this rendering engine up and running, but... But really, it was uh, my background and uh, and the general idea of where we were uh, working in. So to be honest, I haven't really followed Y Combinator all that closely in the past, I don't know, two or three years. And I know it has changed quite a lot, specifically after Paul Graham has left and has grown just ridiculously. It's fucking huge. Yeah. So how many people were in your badge? People I don't or, know. Or companies, startups. Companies, I think it was 200. Uh, 200 okay and i think in most companies have like on average like two and a half co-founders maybe so like that's 500 people or whatever right okay and how large is the pool of advisors i don't know but basically we were subdivided into four groups that's 50 companies per group no, maybe it was five groups. I can't remember. Or I don't. I think it was four groups, and then each subgroup was itself subdivided. So in the end, every every of one of the smallest groups had between five and ten companies in them. So that was like your core group. And then did these groups have advisors assigned to them? Yes. So every. Every group had three advisors. All right, and you share them within your group then? Yes. Cool. So was Y Combinator the first money you accepted for your company, or did you no, raise something before? we had raised a bit before from, okay. from um, uh, an investor and uh, a, a friend of mine who just believed in us and wanted us to 
try something outside of Facebook and really believe we could do something good. Right. Was that, that considered a seed round or what? Yeah, on, on paper it was a seed round. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but these names really don't matter or anything. We just raised what we on paper called a seed two round. <laughs> uh, and so it really is, um, you can name it whatever you want. Okay, so you've joined Y Combinator. You were part of the Winter Badge or? Winter W19. Okay, cool. And then you basically work your asses off till demo data, something you can present to to people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so demo day is just uh, a day of companies. Uh, yeah, can you tell us a bit about the, I see, to us, but yeah. Well, <laughs> to about the format that this actually has. I think this is quite yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's a two-minute uh, presentation Again, about your company. 120 seconds. 120 seconds in front of a thousand investors. And this is the top VCs in the world. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, it goes fast, um, but you prep and it's fun. I had a good time with it. In which when venue did this happen? It was on like Pier something forty eight, I think, San Francisco. Okay, okay. Uh, the venue was, to me, but... was fine. It was a <laughs> bit cold, uh, but uh, but yeah, it uh, it worked out good. Also, they had like two stages as well, and so forth. Uh, uh, so you have then two hundred uh, companies presenting their stuff each hundred in yeah. They split it across two days, and okay. two stages. So every stage had. 50 companies basically gotcha and how do you get feedback on this then well you um the investors basically press a like button and <laughs> tool and then you email them that's the gist of it and then you take meetings for all days all week it definitely sounds more efficient than having someone then shout division clear the lobbies yeah oh, that definitely uh, peaking, i mean it's just, uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, it was fun. And what's next? Next is hard work and hiring. So we're just really working really hard on getting out of first product right now. And uh, apart from apart from actual product work, I'm focusing probably 20 to 50% of my time on, on hiring. Right. Uh, where I want to, I mean, through the end of this year, probably hire like six people. But right now, the focus is three engineers. So really just engineers who, I mean, love this idea and and really want to work on making UI development so much better um, across Android, iOS, and the web. Um, so yeah, that's my focus right now and hiring in Sweden and uh, London, but uh, also really just remotely through probably focus on Europe, though. That's actually something I wanted to ask you about. Like, how much how much of your time have you actually been able to spend on your development, given the the different stages of the company that you've been in so far? Very little. No, but I spend some. I spend probably twenty to thirty percent of my time on development nowadays. Um, it used to be higher. It used to be eighty, ninety percent. Uh, but at this point, there's so many administrative tasks and hiring that have higher priority. So maybe 30% of my time is spent on development, whereas the rest of the team is spending 100% of their time on development. Um, my time is uh, is uh, best prioritized towards hiring right now. As long as we get another, yeah, another th- like three people on the team within a fairly short amount of time, I'll feel a lot better on that front. 
how hard has this been for you to shift your focus then so much on CEO kind of tasks? Because I, I know you'd like to have your heads down in code and just... Yeah, but to be honest, it's not super different from what I was doing at the end of Facebook. I was coding 30% of the time. At that point, I was just doing project management, really. Yeah. Um, it's not too different, but now I'm working on something much more impactful. So how do you envision this going forward when you grow the company? Would you be happy to, at some point, take a backseat and then focus more on you know, the, the CEO tasks, fundraising, hiring, and so on? Well, looking um, at fundraising, we won't need to do that for a pretty long time. So that feels good. Um, I would imagine it does, yeah. It went went well um so something I, i've always wanted to know is it like once you get your funding it actually shows up in your bank account or is there some sort of weird process where i mean i have no idea what the, the standard is it shows up in your bank account mm, that must be must be very sad now, like some like i've heard of that not always being the case but that's th those are more like if you get funding for like a hundred million dollars maybe that's more split up but i at least know for like like seed series a it typically just shows up in the bank gotcha okay um so so yeah now we, now we just have the funds to really execute on the product and hire just like hire people who really care about this but we also can afford to actually pay them really well which feels great um yeah i don't think you have to choose between working on something you love and actually making a good amount of money um so we can give people both well, congratulations that this worked so well. And we're just getting close to the 40-minute mark I wanted to cut this off on. So I feel like we're in a great position here. But because we still got like at least one and a half minutes left until we get there. And this is before I do some editing on this. But anyway, um, do you have like a, a thing or two you want to plug? Something you've had the time in between to, to read or watch or play or something? Uh, good question. I feel like I had something. Because I, I remember, I, I used to have a podcast with a buddy of mine, and we always had some something to plug at, at the end. Or I mean, the main outs. thing, I mean, this is probably well known at this point, but I, I mean, I'm super interested in podcasting in general. And I would say, if you haven't already, take a look at Kimberlite and the, the uh, acquired, folks have launched uh, acquired LP series there where they charge $5 a month for a podcast series and I subscribed like day one and I'm loving it. And I think there's a lot of interesting things coming out of that space in general, but also just like that podcast is really great. Yes. And, and the product itself is really good. I tweeted about this and then I was suddenly, I mentioned it as a testimonial on their page, but it's, it's really good. The entire payment flow, um, at least in Google Chrome on Android, I was yeah, just prompted. Safari on Mac is fantastic. It's amazing. I was just asked, do you want to pay here? Yes. And that was it. It was literally like two or three clicks and I was done and got an RSS feed that I could subscribe to. So yeah, really yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's a fantastic product and they're creating it themselves and they're dogfooding it with this LP series. So the podcast itself is fantastic and the product itself is fantastic as well. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, check that out because it's my favorite podcast or one of at least. And uh, the product is looking like it's shaping up to be something great as well. Cool. Um, so I went to the airport last week and I was only traveling with a backpack. So I guess this is my, my first car. Just traveling with a backpack is amazing. Yes. Like, oh my God, this is, 
that nothing you need to look after, nothing to check in, nothing to wait on on the uh, on a particular belt, and then um, airlines losing your baggage. It was fantastic, but I didn't have space for the book I was currently reading. I was just going through the um, nonfiction bestseller things and found talking to my daughter, a brief history of capitalism by Yanis Vol. Oh shit! You know the the uh, former Greek um, finance minister. It's really fantastic, and I just made my way through. It's like two hundred pages or something over over the course of a week. It just basically explains to you how capitalism came to be from effectively first principles in different like how people started trading and um, all the concepts behind it. I consider this to be almost apologetic for capitalism in some way, but it's surprisingly left-leaning and I was just nodding along while uh, reading this entire thing. Um, yeah, that's definitely my recommendation did, did for this. You get, um, did you get a better sense of capitalism or a worse sense of capitalism after reading it? A better understanding and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it actually dragged my, under, or my, my, my view of capitalism down because it is already fairly grim. But um, yeah, definitely better understanding. The guy wrote this in nine days, which is ridiculous because this guy is incredibly articulate and it is written literally as a letter in a book form to his daughter to explain how capitalism came to be. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. And that's all we have for the third episode of Her Majesty's Tech Podcast Working Title. Hopefully the fourth episode won't be as far away as this one was. Yeah. Well, let's hope there is no... You know, earth-shattering event that forces me or you out of the country, and then yeah, it might be sooner or later that we have another episode for you. Until then, see you later. Bye bye. Fuck! I, I hope I still have the intro music somewhere.